Hey, welcome to another episode of Two Lawyers Walk Into a Bar. I'm Lee. And I'm Cooper. Oh, you are. Uh, and we're here with Sean Pappas. Uh, Sean is a partner at Star Associates. Uh, he's in the general real estate group and his focus is on development and offering plans, works with developers, lenders, investors. He's also uh, the lead partner in charge of the firm's leasing department. So a lot on his plate. We're happy that he took some time to join us here today. Thanks, Sean. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. No worries. So uh, before Cooper gets into your history, most important question is, we're filming this at, at 2.30 on a Monday. And um, so there's no alcohol component that we're going to talk about on this episode, at least. But if we were drinking, what would your, your drink of choice be? I would be drinking a tequila añejo on the rocks. Okay. Maybe a, a lemon wedge or orange, depending on on how I feel. What, what sounds what, delicious. What's the difference? Like yellow for when, orange for yeah. when? <laughs> you know, the orange, the citrus gets a little, the orange citrus gets a little sweeter. So you know, if I'm in the mood to kill some of the tequila taste, <laughs> uh, you know, or I let the the ice melt. So I switched to that a while back, and I never looked back. Okay, cool. All right. Well, um, Sean, maybe you could just start off by telling us a little bit about um, where you grew up, general like childhood stuff. Give us give us the quick the quick background. I think we want to dig in mostly to your legal career, but um, maybe a few minutes we can start with a with a chat sort of about about what came first. No problem. Um, so I grew up on Long Island, about in Syosset, Woodbury area. So it's like 40 minutes outside of New York City. Um, kind of grew up going to Manhattan all the time. Uh, you know, as I got a little older and I could jump on the train by myself, I grew up always wanting to, you know, work in one of the big office buildings and uh, build a career here. I I actually have no lawyers in my family, um, so it was somewhat of a unique path. I remember my dad asking me when I graduated college, you know, where I was going to work and saying, um, I'm actually going to go to law school and him saying, more school? Why? And I was like, well, you know, next step, uh, I think I think I should be a lawyer. So they were supportive, but uh, I kind of had to make my own path, especially in a city like New York. It's pretty competitive. So not having a lot of um, underlying connections to lean on. I was able to somehow devise a strategy to break my way into it. Um, and that's pretty much it as far as you know, childhood on Long Island. I went to high school in Long Island, and then I went to college uh, upstate New York at Binghamton. Mirror, mirrored my existence uh, for at least the first part of your, of your pre-legal career. I was, I'm, I was Long Island to upstate New York also. So uh, Very nice. Like I, I went over the speed limit on 81 more times than I can care to recount. There. I have several tickets uh, that I had to resolve at some courthouse on 81. Absolutely. Um, did you go when you when you started college? Was was being a lawyer something that was on your radar, or did that did that interest in potentially going to law school was that something that that developed kind of throughout your throughout your four years? Yeah. So it, it's it. It happened a little bit before college, so I, I looked at everything very analytically growing up. You know, I knew I had aspirations, and I kind of knew that I wanted to do something professional. 
and I really deconstructed it from a way of okay, let's fo what am I good at and not really, you know, and and realize what I'm not good at, right? So science was out the window right off the bat. I knew I couldn't be a doctor. I was terrible at science. I didn't really enjoy it. Not great in math, so finance goes out the window pretty quickly. And then I started to realize, well, I'm, I'm pretty good at public speaking. I like to public speak. I'm a pretty good negotiator. People, I get along with people. What profession can I lean into uh, that utilizes those traits? And law kind of popped up. So in high school, towards the end of high school, I interned at a law firm on Long Island just to really feel it out. Like I said, I had no family member that was a lawyer or anybody that was involved in the legal profession. So I worked at a, at a law firm on Long Island after school, uh, part-time, and just really liked it, and then went to college with the eye of, okay, I'm in college now, how do I get to law school? And that really helped me pick my major and def define my strategy to get to the next level in uh, professional school. What type of law firm did you work at that summer? It was a Wills Trust and Estates law firm. So uh, nothing that I do now has no relation to any of my practice, but it got me in involved with someone who had an Esquire attached to his name. So, um, you know, just experience of seeing what it's like to be in a in a firm where there are phone calls coming in and there's kind of busyness going around and how attorneys multitask and do certain different things throughout the day. It was helpful at 16, 17 years old, knowing nothing, it, it at least gave me a window into it. I did the same thing, but they had a, they had me like um, they had a storage facility in the law firm, which doesn't really exist anymore now because everything's in the computer. But there were just rows and rows of boxes, and I think they didn't know what to do with me, so I just kind of moved boxes from one part of the storage <laughs> facility to the other. So I'm like, is is working at a law firm just grunt labor? And I was like, skinny way kid I'm like i don't know if i can physically handle the rigors of <laughs> law firm work yeah whatever gets you in the door <laughs> that's how i looked at it so when did you did you apply did you end up applying from uh applying to law school directly from undergrad yes i went straight i went straight through i applied directly to law school like i said my dad was very big on working for a year, taking a break, and I was afraid I, if I took a break, I'd never go back. So I tried to play it straight through. John, you mentioned earlier that uh, went, while you were in undergrad, you did some things to specifically prepare for um, for law school. Um, I'm wondering if you can talk more about what those things were, whether it was specific classes or um, extracurriculars that you that you focused on in order to to improve your resume or help you help prepare you for law school. Yeah. So from, you know, when I looked at it analytically, for me, the beauty of law school is that it, you didn't necessarily need a prescribed major in order to get in. So I tended to take classes that suited my skill set that I could do well in. Um, I chose a major that was a little bit more of a public policy, sociology style major where there was a lot of oral presentations and things that things that I was able to achieve, you know, good grades in so that it could help me in the next level. I worked uh, at the same time. I worked for a, an, a law firm in, I went to Binghamton in upstate New York. So I worked at a law firm there as well. Uh, it was a criminal defense law firm in the city of Binghamton. And I made, you know, pretty good relationships with some of the lawyers and 
they help me mentor me into kind of getting into the next step. Well, by that I, point, think that I think I'm stealing Cooper's question, but by that point, you know, you've done, you've done Will's trust in the States. You've, you've been exposed to criminal defense. You're thinking about going to law school now. Are you beginning to hone in on where you might want to practice or are you still kind of open to any particular area? You know, when did that start to crystallize for you that you want to be involved in real estate? That wasn't, that wasn't my question. So go ahead. We can pretend. <laughs> it. So I've, I, uh, I fell into real estate and I'll tell you quickly. So I graduated law school in 2008 and I had worked in a, in a law firm a few years before and I was in the corporate department. So I was doing M&A and different, you know, structure of corporate corporate deals and right around my second semester of my last year of law school there was a small crash of a bank called Lehman Brothers that destroyed most corporate jobs especially legal jobs around that time so my job that I had lined up uh, changed very quickly and it went from we have no job for you in corporate but we have a lot of litigation happening so if you need a job which I did um, would you like to be a litigator? And my answer was begrudgingly, sure, I have some loans to pay off and I don't want to not work. So again, I went from, like you said, from Will's Trust and Estates, I did cr criminal law background throughout college, wanted to be a corporate lawyer, ended up as a litigator in 2008 when I graduated law school. Um, and I did that for a few years, wasn't really something that I loved. Um, I didn't think I was that great at it, to be honest, and then found my way into real estate from there. So you jumped ahead about three years. I want to, I want to yes. rewind, rewind a little bit. It was, yeah, Lee's, Lee's steering us in all sorts of different directions. Um, uh, the, the, the comment I was going to make previously was, I, I think you, you, you touched on something that, that is, fault, is I, smart. I, I, I think I, a lot I, of, I, a lot I, of college kids think, oh, I want to go to law school. I should take pre-law classes or I should study political science or government. And like, I think that the, the, the thing that you realized, which was smart was that like law, law schools, and maybe this has changed. Maybe this is changing as the rankings become less important and some schools opt out of the rankings. But I, I think at least when I was, when I was applying and, you know, back in the day, it was like, didn't matter what you majored in. You could major in if, if you had, they would rather take a four O who studied, right? Like, musical theater than, uh, than someone with a three, three, who's, who took like complex economics because that four O like helps their U S world and news rankings. And again, maybe that's all changed. Maybe, maybe there's more nuance to it than that. But, um, I think that, 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 uh, you know, I've, 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 I've talked to law students and I've sort of said similar things. Like when, if you think you want to go to law school, like just worry about your GPA, the GPA is the single most important thing, not actually the classes, not actually like what you're doing to prepare for law school. Yeah. I agree. And I think that, again, you know, for me, it's been uh, 2005. I was in, I started law school, so it's been almost 20 years. So I'm just, I certainly can't tell you that, that it's the same, like you're saying, but my, the way I looked at it, I remember the joke was you could major in basket weaving and still get into a great law school if your GPA was high enough. So I was very much looking at what classes can I take that I can do well in that fit my skill set, my abilities that, you know, I, I'm going to enjoy, which typically means you're going to do better because you actually enjoy what you're learning. And, you know, if there was hopefully something down the line that I would learn that I could rely on, you know, when it came to right. being a lawyer. Yeah. 
So tell us a little bit about your law school experience, where you went and how those, th- those three years, uh, how they shook out. So I went to Cardozo in um, Manhattan on 14th, on, sorry, on 12th Street, 12th and 5th. Um, and, you know, for me, it was very much head down. I, I had a great time in high school and college and I did well, but I also made sure that I enjoyed it to the fullest. And law can, you school, elaborate, can you elaborate on that? Okay. <laughs> Since we're not drinking, I'm not sure I'm going to tell you the good enough stories. But um, you know, I just had I had a I had a lot of friends, and I went out and I did my thing, and it was a lot of fun. And then when I got into law school, it was very much okay. And listen, I did good in college, and and you know, I always had aspirations to do well down the line. But for law school, I was I remember saying to myself the first day I walked in kind of cliche, um, you know, you may not be the smartest person in the room, but you're going to work the hardest, kind of motivating myself to at least do what you can do to do what you can control um, when it comes to achieving, right? You know, there's always going to be someone that's taller, smarter, faster, richer, better looking, all those things, but you can work as hard as you, you, you know, make yourself work. So make sure you do that. And that served me, me well. Um, I always worked throughout law school, not necessarily paid for the money, but more just to get continue to gain experience. I felt that that would help my resume down the line. So I worked for a judge. Um, my second year, I interned for a judge, a federal court judge. Again, not really thinking I was ever going to do that type of work, but I thought it was good experience. And you know, I just wanted to leave with enough information at my fingertips and be being well-rounded enough where I could make a decision on what practice area I could chase down. I think that's a really good point about the work experience because um, people tend to pick their jobs based on, okay, how is this going to look? What is this going to do for me getting my next job? But when you're a lawyer, it's so important to kind of understand the various points of view from a judge, from advocates, even when you're working on a transactional matter, right? Well, how might a litigator view this if this issue gets litigated down the line? How might a judge view it? How do you vary your writing style based on the audience? All of that stuff can't be learned in law school. It can only be learned by doing it. And the more that you do it before you start your first job, the more advantageous position you're in when you start. So I think it's just a really great thing to point out to law students. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, even even when you're advising clients, you know, as part part of being an advocate for a client, no matter what the practice area is, is giving them a full scope of the up the pros and cons or the potential pitfalls, and some of that just comes with the general understanding of not just your own practice, but what it, what it would be like if it went into a litigation, or what it would be like if they got sued, you know, and how they would have to deal with that, and sometimes those uh, those opinions can help shape their current decisions right because they might ne- not necessarily take a step that they're you know inclined to take because if you point something out and you say listen if you go this route this it could lead to, to x you know maybe a potential lawsuit and this is what that looks like so maybe they get a little more conservative or maybe they take a different road so it all kind of ties together at some point um but I, I agree. I think doing as much as you can and giving yourself as broad of an experience throughout school is, is important. Totally. So how did you how did you end up take us from uh, law school to your first job, which it sounded like was at a large corporate 
um, firm in Manhattan? Yeah, so I worked at a, at a large litigation um, firm. It was they did corporate, but their big bread and butter was litigation. So when I when my job changed from corporate law to um, their litigation department, just because they had more openings, uh, I, I did litigation for two years there, about a year and a half to two years there, and. You know, for me, it was just not really. I didn't have any passion for it. You know, there was, there's, it's, it's fun in certain aspects, but I didn't love waking up every day having to be adversarial, and I wanted to be part of the deal, and not <clears throat> the um, person kind of fighting behind the scenes. What so, type of what type of litigation work were you doing? So it was commercial and insurance. I worked for a company that. Uh, defended a lot of companies and a lot of big corporations and depending on whether there was insurance coverage we would work with the insurance company and depending on whether it was a general just you know self-insured type situation uh, we would defend the company and you know so it was a lot of contract review a lot of breach of contracts things like that some some you know mass uh, uh, tort cases and things like that um, and again you know you're just you're you're, some people love it. They love to argue. They love to be, you know, adversarial constantly and be, you know, pick pick a side and, and advocate and fight for it. For me, it just it 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 wasn't it wasn't as exciting, and I, I didn't really get a lot out of it. So I did that for a few years, and then I went from there to more of a mid-sized firm. Um, the first firm was like a thousand lawyers. The the second firm was about a hundred lawyers, and I was able to go in with a litigation background, but get more transactional work because it was a smaller firm, and because it was, you know, kind of whatever was hot and happening, you would work on depending on the group you were in, and that's where I got first got exposed to real estate deals, uh, a lot of building acquisitions and, and deals like that, commercial deals, and I did that for a couple of years, and then from there I went to where I am now, which is a boutique real estate only law firm. Did you just just kind of rewinding to the to the first job change when you were at the big the big firm and you would kind of only had litigation experience at that point and then you went to a smaller firm knowing that you didn't really want to litigate did you did you still have to when when you were applying for jobs did you still kind of sell yourself as a litigator or were you were you really kind of pretty transparent about hey look I've I've gotten litigation practice but I want to I want to do, um, you know, more transactional work and I'm, I'm looking for an opportunity to, to, to pivot or was it more like, like I'm going to, I'm, I, I love litigation. I want to continue doing litigation. And then once you're in the door, then, then sort of try and find opportunities to pivot. How did you, how did you sort of frame that? So it's a great question. And, uh, I will tell you that so much of it is dependent on the market you're in and the time. So totally. for me, it was around 2010 and the market from 08 was just starting to recover but there was still a lot of litigation happening. So I absolutely sold myself as a litigator, knowing that once I got into the firm, because it was a pretty big transactional firm, I would hopefully be able to, quote, weasel my way into different deals that were outside of the litigation you know, practice. Um, I think in a, in a different market, had I waited a few more years, I probably could have just been honest, but then I might have had too much litigation experience where I would have been pigeonholed into just being a litigator. If you do it for five years, it's kind of hard to break out, whereas I was two years in and I sold myself as a litigator, but knowing I could probably figure out how to get some transactional work.
Yeah. No, I think it's interesting. I think, I think that there's an interesting lesson there, right. About how, when you're, when you are applying for jobs, like even, even if you know, I think whether, whether you're framing it as like, what are you hoping to get out of it versus like, what can you bring to the company? And I think it's always better, you know, what you, what you did is generally the smarter move, which is to sell yourself as an asset to the company. Not like this is a great opportunity for me to, to get my foot in the door, this other practice area. It's so much more important to frame it as like, here's what I'll bring. Here's the wealth of experience. And then once you're there, then, then you have the opportunity to sort of prove yourself and also find those other, those other opportunities. I agree. I, for me, it was very strategic. These, you know, your career in the beginning, you know, you have to strategize and figure out what your end game is and then how you go about getting there. And it's not necessarily point A to point B. Of course. Sometimes you have to veer off a little bit or, Take a job that opens partially opens the door, but maybe not fully, so that you are exposed to certain things. So that point C is where you know where you end up is where you want to be, even though B is kind of transitional. Yeah, hundred percent. And how how long did it take you to kind of transition from being a litigator to a to a transactional attorney? Like, was that a multiple like? Two years, two years at the new firm. Were you still doing any litigation, or was it was it a couple? Like, how long did it take before you were really like, all right, this is my this is my area? So after I was fifty fifty even when I left there. So by year, the end of year two at the second firm, so four years out of law school, I was about fifty percent litigation, fifty percent transactional, and then I went to where I am now, and even getting in this door, I. The litigation background helped because they were they were dealing with a lot of lawsuits happening and having another set of eyes that had some experience in that area was important to them. And I once I got here, it was about six months to a year where the the person who's my you know partner now uh, that I was working under was like, "You're not a litigator. You're a transactional lawyer, and we're going to just stick you there because that's where you can really excel." Yeah, I think hiring now, um, from my perspective, I think if someone is applying for a transactional role and they have like really no transactional experience and only litigation experience, you're immediately going to be a little skeptical, right? Um, just because you don't want to have to like train from scratch a third or fourth or fifth year associate. But if they have something, if they've worked on a few deals, it makes it much easier to start. So it's so strange. Like this is, I think it's just like a, I don't even know what it is. It, 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 Cause really a few deals shouldn't matter. Yeah. Right. In the scheme of things, it doesn't matter, but it does, you know, it, it, it does matter. So for people who are trying to make that type of transition, I think it's important to recognize, like get a little taste of what you want to do, where you are now, because it'll be really helpful in promoting yourself for the next position. It's very true. And it's funny now because now I hire. Now I'm on the hiring end. And I'm basically in charge of hiring at my at my firm with another partner of mine, you know, when we make final decisions. And it's when you put that hat on and you think back to how you were when you were in the the you know employee seat, uh, it is interesting what you think of as a potential employer. It's not necessarily the resume doesn't have to line up exactly to what you're looking for. You're looking for little pieces of experience or things that might jive into the position that you're looking to fill. But you're also just looking for smart and just motivated and sometimes people that are 
changing practice areas, have even a little bit more ambition and a chip on their shoulder because they don't necessarily have the pedigree when they come in. So that all comes into play when we're looking to hire as well. I think it's also different. I mean, Star is is substantially larger than our firm, but we're both kind of in the small the small firm bucket, I guess, small to mid, you know, you're more, I guess, mid-size, small to mid-size bucket. And especially right now where there's such like a mix of working in office and work from home, personality fit is just so critical to a small team that it, it overrides, I think, everything else. I mean, a larger firm can can afford to bring in someone like really specialized who might not be a, the, the right personality fit because there's so many like little holes to fill, but there's no way in a 10 person firm or a 30 person firm to hide someone who's not fitting the personality of the firm. Absolutely. That's probably the first thing we look for. Um, Sean, do you think, I mean, you sort of alluded to this, but do you, do you think like if you, if you could have gone back and done your career differently, do you think that having four, four additional years of transactional experience would have been valuable in the long run? Or do you actually think that like in a weird way, the four years of litigation experience is potentially more valuable in your career as a transactional attorney because it forces you to approach things differently and have a better understanding of risk mitigation? Um, I don't know. I'm just curious how you how you sort of think of that now. Yeah, I, I actually think that it was invaluable. I think that it, it helped shape the lawyer I am today and it helped shape uh, a lot of the steps that I take as on a, on a day-to-day practice are influenced by having seen what things look like when they're at the end and being litigated over versus the beginning of the transaction where everybody's having, you know, everybody's on the same page and things are all hunky-dory. When you see it at the end, when it's all falling apart, you kind of have a different perspective on it. You know, and for me, it gave me the confidence that, you know, you don't have to be stuck in one lane. You can do a little bit, you can be a little broader, even in my own real estate world. You know, I my niche is development, but I've built out from there. You know, I've represented lenders and I've represented uh, commercial landlords and I do leasing. Like it's, it, you don't, having that background where I wasn't necessarily just driven with a real like narrow sight line, I was able to be a little broader in my uh, initial practice, I think has helped me in my career, even, even, you know, 15 years later, because I have some confidence where I know I'll learn it and I'll figure it out and I'll be able to, you know, do a good job regardless of what it is. And you also know that one of the first things that a litigator is going to say to their client is why did the transactional attorney yeah, do that? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they always, they always bring, blame the transactional lawyer. I don't know who your transactional attorney was, nothing against them, but I would have maybe yeah, done it this way. Instead. Monday morning quarterback. <laughs> are there, are there any specific um, inflection points of, of your career kind of up until that point that you would have, rethought or or approach differently now kind of be based on where you are or or other types of experience that you wish that you had had maybe as an attorney or prior to being an attorney that you think would would help you in your current role um you know not too much i I try not to look back too much um I, i think everything kind of happens somewhat for a reason and and just regardless of whether it's personal professional I think you somewhat end up where you're supposed to, depending on you know, your work ethic. Um, 
I really enjoyed working for a judge and I thought that, especially a federal court judge, I thought that that was a great experience that had I not necessarily gotten where I am today in real estate, I could have seen maybe pursuing very different lifestyle, but that there was something about that type of work uh, in the federal court system that I found very uh, intriguing and interesting and having that experience definitely helped. Well, you could you could still be a judge one day. Yeah, John. Commercial division. Uh, I think I'm all right. <laughs> <laughs> never know. Never say never. It's podcasting in public record. Yeah. So, and you're running. They're going to say, "Well, Sean said I think I'm all right." During the two lawyers walking to a bar <laughs> podcast. Um, can you can you sort of just explain? I mean, you've talked to, you've talked a lot about how you kind of transition into the the corporate role or the corporate world. Um, but how did you sort of go about developing this expertise in specifically sort of as a transactional real estate attorney? Um, how did that, how did that sort of come about? And um, yeah, what type of, maybe, maybe just sort of explain what type of work you're doing, you're, you're primarily working on now. Yeah. So for me getting into the firm that I'm at now, which is Star Associates, the, the niche that our founder has had built when I arrived here was condo development. So representing the majority of developers throughout New York City, building you know condo buildings and commercial buildings. Um, and coming here, I was able to get involved directly on some pretty big projects that uh, at a young age, that gave me a lot of exposure. And when you're, generally speaking, when you're at a smaller firm, and you do well quickly, you're, you get a little bit more um, leeway with how much involvement you have on even big deals. So, you know, bef before I was 30 or when I was 30, I was on pretty big projects that were, you know, na New York City nationally known really um, in condo law and developments. So that really was the reason why I got so involved in real estate was I was at a development firm that that was our, our bread and butter. And regardless of what I was doing each day, it was always circling back to big real estate deals. Gotcha. Um, and then, and then can you just sort of share a little bit more about like what the, what the current practice area looks like? Like what type of, what type of matters are you working on at the present moment? He's handling wills, trusts, and no, states. No, definitely not. <laughs> exactly. No divorces, none of none of that. Um, so yeah, we have a, a lot of big active projects right now, mostly condo developments um, throughout New York City. I'm on, you know, a bunch of them. Obviously, managing a lot of them. Also, you know, I still do a lot of work myself, which, as a lawyer, is uh, always fun when you're the management side and also the you know still working hard. Um, so yeah, I mean, 111 West 57th Street is a big project of ours right now, right on Central Park. Um, big, big client of ours. Um, we have, I have one, a bunch downtown, a bunch of new, new condo projects coming in. Um, the market has been interesting and it's been definitely something, uh, the last six months to a year that has changed, but, uh, we still see a lot of activity, which I think is, is, is exciting. On, on our other podcasts, we've done a few episodes on the 420A, uh, abatement, how has um, the, I guess maybe call it the temporary end of that program, how has that impacted the development market from your perspective? Yeah, 
or has it not really happened? I don't know if it's happened yet. I think that that, that has been talked about for so long. And I think the expectation, whether it's, uh, whether you get someone to admit it or not, was that it probably was going to either go away in full or at least be halted for a while. So I think, you know, developers develop and I think they fit, that's their job. They figure out a way around it. They, they figure out how to underwrite things differently, how to get better pricing when it comes to what the building costs or the land costs because of all these changes. Um, so I haven't seen much of an impact on it uh, from that perspective yet. Although, you know, we're not really into what I think is the next cycle of building yet. So we'll see when that comes about, if, uh, if there are as many deals as, as there was last cycle. Are you seeing uh, post-2019 more conversion of rent-stabilized properties? Has that been something that has changed after that law was passed? Or is that impacted really more smaller conversions and really hasn't impacted the types of deals you're working on? So from a condo perspective, the law that in 2019 that changed for us was they uh, the legislation got rid of the ability to convert tenanted buildings to condos without creating a, you know, what I call it almost an impossible standard to convert those buildings. So typically before, before 2019, if you had a, a building that was tenanted with, whether it was rent stabilized or market rate tenants, in order to convert the building, you had a couple of hurdles. One was keep it 90% occupied for a certain period of time prior to, to getting your offering plan submitted. And the second one was sell to bona fide people that are saying that they're going to live in the building. You know, everybody was concerned about keeping, you know, getting away from the investment model and having housing for New Yorkers. They got rid of that and they made it, you have to sell 51% of your units to the tenants that live there, which, you know, I could talk for hours about how that's just not a feasible standard. So that part of our business was impacted. And we feel a lot of our clients' businesses, unfortunately, because they had assets that overnight with the strike of a pen the value potentially could change because now their one potential liquidation uh event is gone that you can't you can't convert them to condo so you're, you're stuck with a rental um they've started to dial some of that back recently the legislature but not as much as we would like um but that impacted our our business we were doing about maybe five to 25 conversion buildings a year Typically, we do about a 60 to 70 buildings a year. Um, so about a third of our business was conversions, and, and you know it was taken away. Interesting. Um, all right. Well, I mean, I guess, Lee, unless you have any other questions, I think my last question is, um, you know, we, the, the, the target audience for this is generally law students or people who are thinking about getting into these areas of law. So I'm, I'm curious if you have any um advice, just kind of like thoughts for someone who is interested in entering this, this area of law. I know you've sort of mentioned that you, you think everything sort of happens for reasons and you sort of took a, a circuitous path to where you are right now. But i um, curious if you, if, if someone approached you and said, Hey, I'd love to do the type of work you're doing in 10 years, what would be, what would be your advice? Do you have, do you have any kind of big picture thoughts? Absolutely. I think exposure is everything. So, you know, if you want to be in real estate, you got to work in real estate, whether it's interning in law school, getting into a firm like mine, and, and we do summer associate programs, we do intern programs throughout the year, 
uh, whether it's working for a brokerage company on the brokerage sales side, getting experience that way. I mean, real estate is still a very much a pound the pavement, small knit community. And, you know, one contact and connection can be your jumping off point to the next 50 years of your career. So it is, uh, it's definitely strength in numbers with respect to what you do, who you know, and where you work and, you know, the, the, the uh, types of companies that you are with when you're building out your career. Um, so I would just say, get out there and meet as many people in the industry as you can. Go to events. There's so many real estate events that we go to. We meet people all the time that are asking us, you know, we'd love, we'd love to work for Star. You know, how, you know, are you guys hiring? How can we get in the door? And I mean, most of the people I hire is that's the way that I meet them. You know, it's it's typically either a summer associate that I hired through a law school, or it's someone that we you know met organically that you know came in for an intern program and then we ended up hiring after that. It's it's not as much of the you know let's post something on uh, you know uh, on, a, on one of the OCS websites or something like that. That's why we we invited you to this podcast. We're both actually looking for jobs. Two of us, so <laughs> we'll turn it into an interview. <laughs> We're looking for an organic way to meet you. You're hired. Awesome. Let's do it. Well, uh, Sean, thanks so much. I think we'll probably want you on the closed podcast at some point to talk about the state of, of conversion because there's probably a lot to talk about on that front. Um, our audience probably would like to hear more about that. So we'll, hopefully we'll, we'll get you on that at some point. And uh, we appreciate the time. Sounds good, guys. This was an absolute pleasure. Thanks very much. Thank you so much, Sean. Really appreciate it. For more on all things real estate and the law, subscribe to this and our other podcasts. Follow Bergstein, Flynn, Knowlton, and Polina on social media. Subscribe to our newsletter and go to bfklawoffice.com. That's bfklawoffice.com to learn more.